So I want to, we're going to James chapter 3 and 4 today, and uh, I am so excited about this particular text. I've been working with Shane all week on this text, and I think you'll enjoy what God has to say to us, and it's probably going to be one of those things that is a little convicting as well. So I want to start with this question. Do you believe that words matter? Do you believe that that's true in your life? What you speak, what you say, what comes out of your mouth has an incredible impact not only on your own personal walk with God and your own personal life, but the reality is it has an impact on everybody around you. It's so powerful. The words that we speak are so dynamic and so good or so negative. They can be, they can be destructive words as well. So I'm hoping today that we'll see how we can shift and really begin to see how good it is when you and I, when you and I speak the right things out of our mouths. So James chapter 3, if you brought a Bible today or a phone, you can follow along. They'll be on, the verses will be on the screen. James chapter 3, verse 3 says this. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. That's pretty amazing, right? I mean, I brought a little prop with me here this morning, and, you know, this is, this is a bridle, and, you know, with it is a small bit here that goes in the horse's mouth. And this little instrument right here, this little instrument right here has the power to take a 2,000-pound animal and control what direction, where it goes, and that's how the tongue is likened to. The tongue has the power in our life to direct the course of whatever direction we set. And so I don't want you to underestimate the words that you speak when, when language comes out of our mouth, when words come out of my mouth. The living God is listening. And that is so powerful and so amazing. And so I want to encourage you to think about clearly about the power of your own words. And if you have used words wrongly, I pray and trust that you'll repent today and you'll say, God, I want to start over and fresh with you. And I want to live in your grace. And so this this, this is so good. And then it goes on to say, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes, a, makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So it gives so many word pictures here. It says in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But in a tiny spark, but a tiny spark can set the forest on fire. The tongue is a small, the tongue is a small part of our body, but it is powerful. So why should I control my tongue? That's the question. Why should I control my tongue? Two major reasons. There are two major reasons that you should learn how to control what you say. First of all, it controls the, my entire body. It can cause over-the-top destruction. First of all, it controls me, controls people around me, and it can cause over-the-top destruction. Or on the other hand, it can, words have, a, have the power to heal people. Do you realize that? Your words have the power, you have the power in your life to bring healing to people's lives by what you're speaking out. It is so incredible that God has given us that particular gift of, of language. Then James chapter three, verse 19, is uh, so good. James 3.19 says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can, can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. It is like this. It's like a forest fire. 
And uh, it, the tongue is a small but powerful thing. And so I, I just trust and pray that God, that you'll, God, that you'll just take my words today and use them for your honor and your glory. It's like this. It's like a forest fire. I was, several years ago, I was trapped in Yosemite. And uh, I was locked there for about three or four days, and there was this raging forest fire that was going on around me. And uh, all of a sudden, one morning, the, the ranger came and banged on our, our door and said, you have 30 minutes to get out. So we hooked up our trailer and pulled out, and we had to drive right through the middle of this raging forest fire. The flames were on both sides of the road, but it was the only window of opportunity to evacuate the park. And I want to tell you, I, my heart was beating, and it was, I mean, it was dangerous, it was powerful, and it showed me that day how, and I, as I was driving out, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking of James, and I was thinking about how powerful a tongue is as, as compared to a forest fire. So the tongue is also likened to a wild beast. It is, it is a wild animal that cannot be controlled, or like a deadly poison that you could take in. Calvin Coolidge said this, I've noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. Let me say that to you one more time so you don't get it, so you, so you get it. I've noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. If the tongue directs and affects, and it does, right? The tongue directs and affects my life and other, other people's lives. It has power in our lives. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just sit back, and I want you to listen to this perspective of life and just see how you resonate with this perspective. Work was horrible today. John, man, sometimes he can really be a piece of work, you know? He's driving me crazy. I'm always too late or too slow or even just not good enough. I really wish he would just get off my back, you know? I'm sick and tired of always taking the blame for everything, when really it's him that's responsible. Why can't he just find someone else to take it out on? So as you think about that, as you listen to those words, you see how he's setting himself up for, for failure? Do you see how those words coming out of his mouth are condemning and destructive and setting himself up for a course of action, setting his mind to live in a certain way. So now let's listen to another perspective. Work today was you know, frustrating. I don't know what's going on with John, but yeah, he must be under a lot of pressure. Or maybe something's going on at home. I should ask him, see what's up. Maybe there's something I can do to make things easier for him. Change a habit, get ahead on schedule maybe, cut him some slack. Yeah, things, will, things will get better. See the difference? Same circumstance, different perspective, different way to look at things, different way to communicate, different way to take words and put them to, to flesh. And so which one represents you? That's the question. Which one represents you? The bottom line is, is that when you think about how powerful words are, God made Israel take many more laps around the desert because they, with their lips, they condemn God. With their lips, they condemn God. So I'm just simply saying to you, words really do matter. 
One of my all-time favorite Super Bowl ads, I'm a football fan and I love to watch the Super Bowl. I especially like to watch Super Bowl ads. And so there was an ad by Bridgetone Tire several years ago. It became one of my favorite all-time Super Bowl ads. So this is what I want you to see. Watch this. Oh, oh no. Rod, you sent this email, reply all. You hit reply all. You know, I was wrong. You just sent this email to me. Could you imagine? <laughs> For drivers who want to get the most out of their cars, it's Bridgestone or nothing. <laughs> I love that commercial. You know why? Because I've lived that life. I have, I've hit that button and go, why? uh-oh, I just pushed the button. I, I, I just sent something that I should not have sent out. Has anybody else done that? Raise your hand really loud. Okay, so words matter, don't they? How we act, how we, how we respond really does make a difference. So with that in mind, let's look at James chapter four. Words matter. Now we're gonna transition to James chapter four and I wanna show you something else that is so powerful and so good. James chapter four, verse six says, and he gives grace generously. Do you agree with that? Speaking of God, God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James chapter four, verses six through eight. These are probably the one of some of the most convicting scriptures in all of James. Do you know that, that the book of James was, was, as they were considering whether they were gonna put it in the original canon, there were a lot of people that opposed the book of James because it was so hard hitting. And this particular passage in spe specifically was a very difficult passage for people to really wrap their minds around uh, because if you get what it really says here, it says some pretty convicting and powerful things. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So opposes, what does that word mean? It means to war against. Your pride puts you in opposition to the living God. So let me ask you this question. This is, why, this is why people struggled with the book of James. Is that anybody in this room struggle with the idea of pride from time to time? Amen? Raise your hands high. Raise your hands high is really a difficult thing to do in church, right? Because <laughs> you never know where that's going to go. Okay, I'm, it's a safe place. I'm not going to make it go anywhere else. I just want you to admit that we all struggle to, from time to time with a little bit of pride inside of our life. But this first says something very specific and very threatening and very concerning to me personally. And that is that when I walk in, out in pride, the reality is, is that I make myself an enemy of God. I, I put myself in a position, a very scary position, of being in a place where God is gonna war against me, to bring war against me. And that's why People struggled so often with James because that, that's a very difficult passage to deal with. Pride puts you in opposition to God. That's why the scripture here says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Grace and pride are eternal enemies. Grace and pride, you think about grace and pride, they're eternal enemies. Pride seeks reward for acts Pride has to be acknowledged. 
Pride gets its feelings hurt when I don't get acknowledged for the work that I do. Has that ever been true of your life? Where somebody overlooked you, where somebody, where somebody else took credit for something that you did, and all of a sudden there is something that welled up inside of you that says, this is not right, this is, and you start defending yourself. I'm just gonna simply say, when that, when that takes place, we put ourselves in position of being opposed, of opposing God. Does that make sense to you? It should frighten you. It should cause you to go swallow hard and go, you know what, because I, we all have this human condition called pride, it should make us think twice about where we are. So grace and pride are eternal enemies. Pride seeks reward for acts. Grace is rewarded in spite of our action. Grace is rewarded in spite of our actions. So God, how, this is God's economy. I don't fully understand it, but at my weakest moment, Christ died for me. And my very weakest moment, not my best moment, when I was continually acting out in sin, that's the moment in time that Christ died for me and for you. It's not your, it's not your best resume. It's the worst thing. Think about this, the worst possible scenario in your life. What is, what is the most ugly part of your life? Just think about it for just, we're not gonna dwell there for long, but what is the most ugly part of your life? Think about, think about it for just a second and realize that that's the moment for which Christ applied his blood on your account. But here's what happens. We receive Jesus in our life. We say yes to him. We say, that's what I want. I want Jesus. I want his grace. And then we, we stand up and then we, can, we, we continue to walk in this life as if grace isn't the reality of who we are. We are who we are because of God's grace, and yet we let pride set in and we, we think about our accomplishments and our merit before God and all the things that we're doing. That's why God opposes religion. That's why oftentimes you see in the Bible that religion is seen in a very negative way because religion is man's pride in, in terms of his attempt to try to find some practice that's gonna please God. That's what religion is. It's not that the motive is wrong or right, wrong I mean it's not that that's wrong it's that the action is religion is man's attempt to try to find some level of acceptance before God when the reality is is God gives us acceptance because of the death of Jesus Christ and you should get on your knees somewhere today in, in before you go to bed and you should thank God for his grace because it's by grace that you're saved through faith and not of yourselves it's such a great truth inside of Scripture and we can't have it both ways. We can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't have pride and grace in our life at the same time. So what do we have to do? What is the answer? What's the antidote to this, to this dilemma that we have? Well, the answer in Scripture is we must submit and surrender to grace. Submit to grace and surrender to grace and recognize that God is at work within us and it's not our work, it's His work. And his work is such, so much better than our work. And we sur we, so we surrender and we submit. Charles Spurgeon, many of you know, probably have read something about Charles Spurgeon. He's an old dead guy, great theologian, great pastor of years ago. He says, if you do not submit to God, you'll never resist the devil. That's the antidote to spiritual warfare. If you do not submit to God, you will never resist the devil and you will remain constantly under his tyrannical power, which will be your master. God, or the, which will be your master, God or the devil? For one of these must be your master. No one is without a master. You're gonna either submit to God or you're gonna submit to Satan. The only way that I can have God as my master is if I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. That is James' antidote.
to the spiritual warfare that goes around us and, and life issues in general. So it's to submit to God. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Resist comes from two Greek words, stand and against. So I'm to stand against, and James tells us to stand against the devil. And how do I do that? I stand against the devil by kneeling to God my Father. I don't oppose him personally. I submit in a humble way to God. I draw near to God, and he draws near to me. And when he draws near to me, it's not that, then it's not that the devil is fleeing from me. He's fleeing from God's presence in me. That's why this passage is such an important passage to really deal with. And then come close to God, and God will come close to you. That's what this text says. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. So how do we draw near to God? That's the million-dollar question. How do we draw near to God? Well, I think there's several ways that we draw near to God, so let me just mention a few of them. I think the first way we draw near to God is, and there's probably no better way to draw near to God than through the habit of worship. Worship isn't an activity It is a discipline in our lives. Now, and I want to camp here for just a few minutes because a lot of people don't recognize the discipline of worship. And I I just want to speak to this because I think James is really clear on this discipline of worship. As we draw near to God, that's the highest form of worship, right? Whether I do it through music or whether I do it through the reading of God's Word or whether I do it through helping widows or, or orphans or whether I do it through kindness and gentleness, worship is a discipline in the Christian life. So the question that I would ask you today, as you walk out of here, as you think about your life, what are you doing in terms of discipline and worship in your life? If discipline, if worship is a discipline, how are you then managing this discipline in your life? Daily, what practices do you have inside of your daily routine that is is demonstrating a discipline in this area of worship? And let me just define worship for you because I think it's important to understand what it is. Worship is not an emotion. Worship is not a feeling. Worship is none of that. Worship is giving worth to God. So how are you doing that? What are your daily practices that bring worth to God, showing worth to God in a private way? You don't, this isn't, you know, worship isn't designed for a public show necessarily. We worship God here publicly. You know, there's, there's a room for a public expression, but the most important part of worship is, de- is seen behind closed doors. What I'm doing behind closed doors when no one else can see is really setting the tone of this thing. Now, remember, we're talking about drawing near to God, and worship is one of the primary tools that God gives us to draw near to Him. Does that make sense to you? You with me on that? So, is, let me just look me in the eyes here for just a minute. And let me just ask you this penetrating, powerful, Pastor Dan type of question. What changes do you need to make in your life today to bring a discipline of worship into your life? What changes do you need to make today that starts today and then goes into tomorrow and then the next 21 days, the next 60 days, and all of a sudden now you have this discipline of worship? For me, and I'm just going to give you an example of what I do every day, and uh, I... I'm not bragging about this. I, I just want to be. I just want to be an example of what a discipline would look like. Would look like. So every day, I have the discipline of getting on all fours, and I put my my head on the earth, on the dirt, on the ground, and I don't look up to heaven. 
And uh, I just say to God, and it's interesting we sang the goodness of God. The one thing that I, that I do is I say, God, in spite of how I feel today, in spite of what happens to me today, in spite of what, how things look, I believe that you are good. I believe and I confess with my mouth that you are good in spite of the circumstance of my life. And I did this, honestly, many of you know that I'm recovering from an illness and I'm making great progress, but I'm not quite there yet, uh, making progress. And uh, during my illness, that was the hardest discipline that I did, that I practiced, is because in my, in my darkest days, it was really dark. It was difficult for me to get on my all fours and put my face in the dirt and just simply say, God, to you, I, I just declare your goodness and your mercy and your greatness. And if you don't discipline that, do that discipline before you get to a place of bad times, you'll never do it during the bad times. You'll get bitter, you'll get angry. So how do I draw near to God? I do it through worship, through prayer, and through the word of God, those things. And they're so powerful, in our, there's powerful tools. And then another way that I develop discipline or I draw near to God is I develop the habit of community. So let's talk about community for just a few minutes because I, I think it's bit worth talking about. Community is more than just showing up to a church. You should have a community of people around you that have the same value system that you have that are going to encourage you, convict you, uh, build you up when necessary, speak truth into your life, love you, love you during the hard times. They should be the people that you call when good things happen and bad things happen. Community is so incredibly important, and yet, in the culture that we, have, that we live in today, and this has been exaggerated by COVID, right? So when COVID hit in you know, 2020, you know, bottom line is that on Sunday mornings, I'd be up here preaching to nobody, except the screen, except the camera. And, uh, and so I showed up at 9 o'clock. Easy day for me. I show up at 9 o'clock, do my thing, walk home. I watch football for the rest of the day or basketball or whatever I'm watching, and, uh, and it's all good. But what happened out of COVID was destructive in our culture because it created an idea of isolation. It created, it set in our minds this idea that we need to be isolated to protect ourselves from this deadly disease. And I'm going to tell you there is a disease in America that's more deadly than COVID, and that is isolation. It is. It's more dangerous than, than COVID. When you put yourself in a position of isolation, you are, when bad things happen, there's nowhere to go. So can I say this to you? Again, community is essential in your walk with Jesus. You're, you're never designed in this life to walk alone. So I challenge you to think about how important that is. And then there is a, how do we, we're talking about how we draw near to God. We draw near to God through community. And thirdly, we draw near to God through sacrifice. We learn the heart of God through sacrifice. That's why as Karen was up here earlier this morning and she said, you know, every weekend we, you know, give you a, a chance, we give you a chance to think about giving because it is a way for you, it's a way for you to change, have your heart changed. Well, it's more than just a heart change. So let me just say this from my heart to your heart. Giving is a way to express sacrifice. And sacrifice is a way to draw near to God. And so it is a great tool that God has given to us. And this is what I've always said. I've said this for like 40 years of preaching. I've always said this, 
If I can't learn to trust God with my money, how am I going to learn to trust God with every other area of my life if I can't trust Him there? So sacrifice, and I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about time, gifts, talents, abilities. I think all that is a sacrifice that should be well-pleasing to God that we should look at every week and, so, and say, what is it in my life that I can do to, um, to sacrifice, draw near to you, God? So now I'm going to cover the rest of the chapter. And by the way, uh, I've covered chapter 3 and chapter 4 in a miraculous way in 30 or 25 minutes. And so, uh, so, so this is normally six sermons, right? You get that? So you're going to have to go back and read chapters 3 and 4. You're going to do that, right? Because you're committed to the discipline of reading your book, the Bible, right? Are you? Okay, so you're going to go back and read chapters 3 and 4 so you get the most out of this, and you're going to remember what I've said, and then you're going to put it to your life. So let's just look at the rest of chapter 4 really quickly. Drawing near to God helps us do several things. First of all, we already talked about this. It helps us to resist the devil. Drawing near to God allows us to have victory in our life. What's interesting is, and I, I, I hesitated to say this. I didn't know if I was going to say it this morning or not, but I'm going to go there. In the process of my illness, one of the things that happened to me that was, uh, caught me by surprise is how, how God had, and this, God allowed this for a reason. God allowed the demonic world to have access to me for, for a bit. And I had to learn the discipline of drawing near to God in the midst of an illness because that was my only way. I was helpless otherwise. And so I'm just simply saying, this is so important. It gives you the power to resist the evil one. And then, not only that, it gives us the desire to pursue holiness in our life. Drawing near to God, when you, go, when you draw near to God, this is what happens. You can never stay the same. It's, it's not a neutral, it's not neutral. It's not, oh, okay, well, I just drew not near to God. When you draw near to God, when you walk, everybody I ever knew that ever drew near to God comes out of that experience different than they went into it. So it is so important. And then as I draw near to God, you know what's going to be the natural process that takes place in my life? I'm going to naturally show grace to others. Not natural. I'm not natural, naturally a grace shower. And neither are you, by the way. Maybe one of you out there. I think one of you out there is probably a good grace shower. The rest of us are, you know, kind of judgmental and, you know, kind of harsh at times. And, and we have our own standards and, you know, and, you know, bottom line, the bottom line is, is that we, we don't do well in that area. But when I draw near to God, this is what happens in my life. I learn the discipline of being gracious to others around me. And that is worth the price of gold. And then it causes me to focus, when I draw near to God, it causes me to focus on the kingdom when I recognize that this is just my, this is not my home, this is a temporary dwelling place, and that God has something far better for me. And then chapter four ends with this message, and uh, I hesitate to read this verse to you because it kind of sounds a little arrogant after I preach this message. Smile at me when I say this to you. So chapter four, verse 17, don't miss this verse, <laughs> this is so good. God has a sense of humor, and he says, remember, remember, it is sin to know what to do when you, you know what to do, what you ought to do, and then do not do it. It's sin when you know what is right and you don't do it. So I've explained to you the process this morning 
of what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. And now what I wanna say, what I send you out with here today is the truth is, is if you walk out of here unaffected, you're in sin. That sounds so arrogant, doesn't it? I don't mean it that way. I don't mean it. I, I'm just quoting James. I'm just quoting what James says. It's all him. Don't blame me. So here's the thing. As I've been speaking, and I know this has happened for many of you, uh, I know that as I was speaking this morning, some of you are going, oh, yes, I need to do that. I need to have a discipline of worship in my life. Yeah. Just do it. Don't talk about it. Don't struggle with it anymore. Whatever habits you have, whatever you want to do, you just do them. But the reality is, is just do it. Just do it. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. Just do it. And just watch what God does inside of your life. Make sense? That's all I have to say today. So let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the honor of being able to step in for Shane. And uh, Lord God, I pray that uh, you'll take your word today and honor your name, glorify yourself, bring glory to the name of Jesus here today. Thank you, God, for what you're going to accomplish as we meditate, as we go our ways, when we read back through James chapter three and four. I pray, God, that your spirit will just speak volumes to us in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name, I pray, and for his glory, amen.